Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Hey, amen. Jesus died so that we could be cleansed from our sin, and he rose so that we could have new life. I'm going to ask if you would to turn in your copy of Scripture to the book of John, chapter 21. We're going to take a pause in our First Peter series and go back and reflect on Peter as he met the risen Jesus in a public setting. See, the, the Peter we've been reading from is a Peter that led the church well, that preached and that taught and was an apostle. But we just got to know, Peter wasn't always like that. He had some moments in his life where he was less than stellar as an example of following Jesus. Um, so we're going to read a story about a fishing trip. And, and I've been on some fishing trips in my life. I've been on some memorable fishing experiences in my life. I've been on fishing trips where I didn't catch a thing. Fished all day, nothing. I've been on fishing trips where I've caught some really big fish. And really love to tell the story of reeling in that big bass. I've been on some fishing trips where I lost big fish. Had to ride up to the boat and he decided to pull off. I've been on fishing trips where we got stuck in the surf on the side of a jetty. Our boat got stuck in the sand and we had to be pulled off. Didn't realize at the time how dangerous that actually was. It's kind of cool as a teenager until you realize as an adult, man, we could have really been stuck there permanently until like the Coast Guard came after us. This is pre-cell phone days. Had all kind of interesting experiences fishing, but nothing like what Peter and John and some of his buddies had after the resurrection. Read with me this story in John chapter 21. We'll begin in uh, verse 3. Simon Peter said to his friends, I'm going fishing. So they said to them, we'll go with you. And they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now, and they were, uh, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciple came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter was a changed man by the time we read his letter to the church. The pre-resurrection Peter was brash, arrogant, was a candidate for sticking his foot in his mouth on a number of occasions. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Lord, let us build three tabernacles. And when Jesus is the only one to be worshipped, Peter wanted to worship Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. On the night before Jesus was to be arrested and crucified, Jesus was telling them what was about to happen, and Peter spoke out brashly and arrogantly, Lord, I will go with you to prison. I will even die for you. Jesus said to him, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. Or before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Brash and arrogant. He, he was a different soul than what we've read in the letter to, of 1 Peter. What changed? What was it that was different about Peter? Well, quite simply, Peter met the risen Jesus. Let me say this very clearly. When we meet the risen Jesus, we are no longer the same. Jesus changes us. Jesus changes things about us. I'm going to tell you, Peter needed some things to change about his life and about his character. And we read about that public interaction here in John chapter 21. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus looked at Peter and he said to him, Listen to this, Satan has demanded to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Right at, that was right at the moment when Peter brashly bragged that he would go to death and go to prison for Jesus. Yet Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, you need to know some things that are going on behind the scenes that you can't see. Satan has not just decided to attack me. He wants to attack you. He wants to damage you. He wants to destroy your leadership and your ministry. And I want you to catch something that's really wonderful about this. <laughs> Jesus prayed for Peter. He prayed for him that he would not completely fall, that when he fell, he would be restored and be returned. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus' prayer life for Peter. Right after that, right after Jesus said this to Peter, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus bowed on his face, and it was that time when he prayed, My God, my God, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. And on a number of occasions, Jesus went to his followers, his disciples, and said, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. But instead of finding them praying, he found them sleeping. When Jesus was praying, knowing what was about to take place, Peter and James and John, Peter in particular was snoring, was sawing logs, was, pray, was sleeping rather than praying. It's no wonder he failed in the temptation. Right after that, you remember the event, the, the religious leaders came to arrest Jesus. And Peter, in his anger and brashness, you remember what he did? He pulled a sword out and he violently cut off the ear of one of the servants. 
Jesus would have none of that behavior. He reached down, picked up the ear, and healed the servant in that setting. And as Peter kind of followed along and watched the events that took place after that, Jesus was taken back and forth to the, to the uh, religious leaders and then back and forth to Pilate and back and forth to Herod under trial, under that faux trial. And, and Peter watched these events from afar, only to be identified on at least three occasions as one of Jesus' followers. And you know the story as well as I do. In each of those instances, when Peter was accused of being a disciple, when Peter was accused of being a Galilean who had no business being in Jerusalem, except if he were with Jesus, when Peter was accused of that, what did he say? I don't know the man. Within a short period of time, Peter had violently cut off the ear of someone. Peter had failed to pray. And then Peter denied that he even knew Jesus, lying in front of everybody and, of course, lying in front of God himself. When that rooster crowed, what did Peter do? He ran away and he wept. Tears of sadness and sorrow. Tears of fear. You can see the the little snippet of hope even in Peter when they were told that Jesus had risen from the dead. You remember the story where John and Peter ran to the tomb? I can imagine what might have been going on in Peter's mind. I've messed up. I've messed up big. I am a failure. I am a spiritual flop. I don't have anything left to offer. But if Jesus is really risen from the dead, if he's really alive, if if he's not in that tomb... Maybe there's a chance I can have forgiveness. Maybe there's just a hope that he'll look at me and he'll wash me and he'll cleanse me like he said he would do. Maybe. So Peter ran. Remember, he ran to the tomb. He went in the tomb. When he went in that tomb, he saw nothing there but linen cloths. Now, what we read was the public encounter between Jesus and Peter. But did you know there were private encounters between Jesus and Peter? In Luke chapter 24... Right after the the two disciples on the road to Emmaus had met with Jesus, you remember that long conversation they had? They ran all the way back from Emmaus that night to Jerusalem. And when they got back, the first thing the disciples said, Luke 24, I think it's 34, they said, Jesus has appeared to Peter. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says the very same thing. He said the Lord appeared to such and such disciples, appeared to 500 at one time. The ascension appeared to me as one out of place. But then he said he appeared to Peter. Now we don't know. We could only speculate about the private conversation that Jesus and Peter might have had. I imagine there was a lot of confession and humility on Peter's part. I imagine that Peter looked at his Lord, the one he had followed, the one he had fished for, the one he had served with, the one he had walked with, and all of these special moments. I I imagine Peter looked at him broken and full of confession and full of repentance. And I don't know about you, but I've met Jesus. And if you've met Jesus, you remember that moment when Jesus stepped into your heart and your life and he cleansed you of your sin and your past and he washed you and he made you clean. And I can imagine, I just speculate, that that private meeting between Jesus and Peter was one of the most poignant moments in human history. But we don't know about it. Peter doesn't reflect on it in his letter. We just know that they met. And Peter was never the same After that, I'm not saying he was never brash or prideful. I'm not saying he never stuck his foot in his mouth after that. But you know what? He was a leader, a follower of Jesus that led the church. Hear this church. 
when we meet the risen Lord, we are no longer the same. Now, we can speculate about that private encounter, but we have a public encounter that we can look at, and we read that in John chapter 21, where Jesus meets with Peter publicly. And it's really a beautiful story. They're out fishing. Now, some scholars have speculated, commentators, why was Peter fishing? He was going back to what he knew. Was he rejecting his command and commission? I, I'll be honest with you, I don't think so. I think Peter was just doing what he knew he, needed, what he, knew he could do. Isn't that typically what we do? When we get in a moment of crisis in our life, what do we do? We do what makes us comfortable. We do what we can control. We do what we can fix. Peter didn't go clean his house. Peter went fishing. That was his occupation. Maybe he had a family to feed too. We know he was married, had a mother-in-law. So maybe he had a family to feed. There, There could have been all sorts of reasons, but he looked at his fellow disciples and he said, let's go fishing. Maybe he was hoping that meeting Jesus at the fishing docks would be what would happen because you remember that's where his first call came while he was fishing. So I don't think we should read too much into Peter's fishing trip as some kind of lack of faith. They went out and they fished all night long. I don't like to do anything all night long but sleep. Occasionally I've pulled some all-nighters writing papers or almost all-nighters occasionally I've been up and couldn't sleep. You know what that's like, but I don't like fishing all night. My dad got into night fishing when we were growing up. I, that's for the birds. I mean, I, I, nights for sleeping. You know, some of you that go hunting and get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to get in the tree stand by 4.30, I don't, you're crazy. I, dark is for sleeping, but Peter and his buddies, they fished all night. Showing up on the seashore was a man who looked at him and said, Children, have you caught anything? said, no, we hadn't caught a thing. He said, well, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Right side of the boat, and you'll bring something in. And of course, they cast their net on the other side of the boat. And what did Jesus, what happened? They they hauled in a catch of fish that was nothing short of miraculous. I want you to hear this. When we meet the risen Lord, He can turn the mundane into the miraculous. He can take the very ordinary daily moments of our lives and do th- something spectacular and supernatural with them. Peter was fishing. Why would Jesus show up and give them this miracle? It's a reminder that he's in control, a reminder that he's sovereign. Was the miracle that the fish, you know, just appeared there? I don't know. The Bible doesn't detail the the nature of the miracle other than the fact that they cast their nets on the other side and they pulled it in. And and you see Peter react. Uh, John said, the disciple whom he loved said, it's the Lord. And Peter covered himself with his outer garment, which is interesting. Usually we take clothes off to go swimming. Peter put his outer garment on and jumped in the water and swam to Jesus. It's a sign of humility. It's a recognition of who Jesus is. You don't go to somebody greater than you without your outer robe on. That was anti-cultural in that day. So Peter made a difficult swim with an outer garment on. Why? Out of a sense of humility and submission to the risen Lord. Evidently, that prior conversation, that private conversation, had had a significant effect on Peter's heart and Peter's life. And so Jesus showed up in that moment and turned the mundane into the miraculous. Do you realize he's still doing that in the world today? He takes everyday little situations. And by the way, that's, that's our typical reaction to difficulty. We move to something we can control. We clean our house for the seventh time that day because 
When we know it's clean, we know we've had control over that. Or, or we reread that article, or we rewrite that paragraph, or, or we do any number of things to make sure that we're in control and we've got things fixed. We go back to the norm. And, and what I want to tell you is Jesus is able to step into that ordinary circumstance of our lives and do something spectacular with it. Just this past week, my mother-in-law, who's going to be watching this, by the way, I'm going to tell you, she is going to say two things after watching this worship service. She's going to brag on her daughter for how she sang that last song. I know that's going to happen. Yeah. I'm going to get in trouble for this. Her, she wanted her daughters to sing in church when they were growing up because she just loved her daughter singing in church. Well, you can tell why. My wife sings beautifully. What a song. So she's going to say that, and she's going to be tickled to death that I shared this story. Just this past week, she had to go meet with the doctors. Uh, my mother-in-law has had a couple of minor heart attacks over the years, and she's had a pretty significant artery that has been blocked and had stents put in. And they were clear that one of those arteries, that main artery, was probably blocked again, and so they went back in to do an imaging of that artery to find out how bad it was and what they could do about it. Our hope was that maybe they could go in and do a bypass, when they got in, they discovered that that LAD artery was completely blocked. The left anterior um, uh, descending artery, I want to say deficient, it's not. Left anterior descending artery was completely blocked. It's the big artery. It's the really important one. They discovered it was 100% blocked. And because of the work they've done on it before, their announcement to Jean's mom and her sister was that there was nothing they could do about that artery. But then they discovered something that was quite an anomaly. They discovered that in her heart, she had regrown blood vessels that essentially functioned as a bypass to that artery. Now, that's really rare. It's happened before, but it's really rare. It's kind of one of those things that you just don't hear about very often. One of the factors is an active lifestyle, and my mother-in-law is active and exercises but here's the miracle. God took a situation that we looked at and said, you know, that, article's, that artery's blocked and there's nothing we can do. And God made a way. He gave her some blood vessels that function to give her blood flow into her heart. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't pray for that miracle. I didn't ask God to do that miraculous thing. But you know what? He did. He did because he's good and he's glorious. Sometimes we look at our situation and we think, hold on, I've not experienced the supernatural and miraculous lately. I've been sick and God didn't take my headache away. The Excedrin didn't even work. I've been through this difficulty and God, I didn't see God intervene. How did God intervene? I'm going to tell you, sometimes we want God to do exactly what he did with Jesus here in this story. We want God to show up and give us a catch of fish that's 153. We want God to do the miraculous and make our bank account full. We want God to step into our circumstances and heal that problem. And I'm going to tell you something. He can and sometimes he does, but sometimes he doesn't. If you fast forward into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12... God freed Peter from prison, but he let James be martyred. And eventually, Peter would be martyred. He didn't rescue him every time. He didn't intervene with the miraculous every time. But I want to tell you something. Whenever we meet God, wherever we meet God, in whatever situation we meet the risen Jesus, it's a little bit miraculous, or maybe a lot miraculous. My son met Jesus in his bedroom. My dad met Jesus 
next to his bed talking with my granddad about Jesus. My father-in-law met Jesus in a hospital room. I met Jesus at a summer camp. Some of you met Jesus at vacation Bible school or in a Sunday school class or with a mom or a dad or in a church service or at an invitation or at a revival. I'm going to tell you something. It may not have been some kind of supernatural moment of miraculous event that took place like catching a haul of fish like this. But whenever you meet Jesus, it is miraculous. And he can take even those small, everyday, little situations And show off his glory and his goodness. He's the only one that can turn the mundane into the miraculous. Something else Jesus can do when we meet him. When we meet the risen Lord. He can exchange our mistakes for mission. Verse 15 transitions into a conversation. A public conversation between Jesus and Peter. And I think it's important for us to grasp this. This isn't Jesus and Peter taking off on a walk. A private walk down the beach. They had already had their private meeting. This conversation between Jesus and Peter happened with the other disciples present. He had fed them breakfast, which, by the way, Jesus fed them breakfast. I'm going to tell you something. He cares about our physical needs. He cared about his physical needs of his disciples in that moment. He cares and he loves us. And he he cares about the difficult things and the good things that we're going through. He cares. And when we meet him, he can change what we've messed up and turn it into something glorious. See, we get into this conversation and Jesus asks Peter, do you love me more than these? And ink has been spilled on this. What, what in the world was he saying? Do you love me more than you love these fish? Do you love me more than you love these other disciples? In the context, I think it means this. Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Now, we might balk at a comparative question like that from Jesus But when you think of the context in the history, publicly, in front of all the other disciples, Peter said, I will go to death for you. I will go to prison for you. And every single one of those disciples that were present in that conversation knew exactly what Peter had said, knew exactly what Peter had done, and knew exactly that Peter had denied his Lord. So Jesus asked a very public question to Peter in front of the other disciples. Do you love me more than these other disciples love me? And then we can get into the nuance of that question. In the Greek language, it goes back and forth between the Greek verbs phileo, a brother love, and agape, which is a selfless love. And much ink has been spilt over that particular change and shift. Does, does Peter love Jesus completely? Or does Peter just love Jesus partially? I think that's a misreading of the story for several reasons. One is the conversation would not have been in Greek. The conversation would have been in Aramaic. It was a conversation that John reflected in the Greek language. On top of that, we don't make a distinction between feed my sheep and tend my sheep like we do between the differences in love. I think what John is simply doing, he's using words in a complementary way. I don't think it means anything that Jesus said, do you agape me? And Peter said, I phileo you. I don't think that that has anything to do with it at all. I think what it has to do with is Jesus asking Peter three times, do you love me? And giving him a mission three times after Peter said, you know that I love you. Because Peter had denied Jesus three times. Did you catch that? Peter was grieved when his Lord asked him for the third time, do you love me? 
Peter was grieved in heart. Why was he grieved? He was grieved because he knew he had denied Jesus three times. And the very reason Jesus had asked him that question for the third time was to call attention to the fact that he had denied him three times. But I want you to catch what Jesus does there. He doesn't chide. He doesn't lay out all his faults. He doesn't yell at Peter. Hey, what are you doing? I can't believe that when I was in my moment of weakness, you would deny that you knew me. Don't you, don't Peter, don't, don't, didn't you remember watching me walk on water? Didn't you remember walking on water? Don't you know who I am? He didn't do any of those things. You know what he does? He turns Peter's mistakes into an opportunity to send Peter on a mission. He invites Peter to affirm publicly his love that he had denied publicly. And he invites Peter, changes his responsibility and says, Peter, you know, you've got a responsibility now. It's a public commissioning. In fact, I think it goes all the way back to Luke chapter 22 when Jesus said to Peter, when you have risen up from your fall, take care of your brothers. In other words, encourage, strengthen the rest of the disciples. And I think this moment is Jesus' public affirmation that Peter is not only forgiven privately, but that he is cleansed publicly and recommissioned publicly. That amazes me. That only God can step into our past and look at all of our flaws and our failures. Look at every sin that we've committed, every mistake that we have made. And not overlook it, not ignore it, because Jesus didn't ignore it here. Not ignore it, but cleanse it, wash it, and change it to give us an opportunity to be on mission for him. I mean, I think it's beautiful that Jesus would turn our mistake into an opportunity to share his good news. I can't tell you the number of ways God has done that in the lives of people over the years. Taking a sin that someone struggled with and giving them victory over it. And then giving them a platform to share with others the good news of Jesus' cleansing and forgiveness. And that's exactly what God did, what Jesus did with Peter in this moment. He took his mistake and he turned it into a mission. Do you realize that that's exactly what God wants to do with us? Do you realize that Easter is a time for us to celebrate? Yes, and we always do. I, I mean, there will not be more people at Easter services at Wilkesboro Baptist Church in 2021 than there were in 2019. I get that. Life has changed. Environment has changed. But this will be a much better year than it was last year. It's already you know, striking out to be that way in terms of COVID and all those things. But do you realize that God doesn't just desire our celebration? He invites that. He certainly enjoys that. I know it pleases Him and worship is primary in the way that we interact with the Lord. But God doesn't just want us to smile one day a year. He doesn't just want us to get to this season of the year and think, man, I'm so glad what Jesus did for me on the cross and I know I'm forgiven and I get to celebrate His resurrection. God has invited us to live our lives on mission. He doesn't cleanse us and save us to sit in a seat and enjoy a service one hour a week. He saves us and cleanses us and forgives us to set our feet on a pathway to serving Him faithfully. He cleanses us so that our mistakes can become a part of the mission He wants to use us to accomplish. And some of you, the reason you're not actively engaged in leading our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus... It's not because you don't believe that's an expectation. 
It's not even because you don't believe you have opportunities. Some of us have spent too much time this last year fretting and fearful and frustrated. And we're just looking around us at the circumstances we're in. And we have internally, we're not, on the outside, we look fine. We look like every other Easter year. But on the inside, we're a mess. We're a mess because we have been uh, pent up, intertwined with fear and with frustration and with difficulty. And we think in our, to ourselves, God can't use me. God, there's no way. There's no way God can use me in this situation I'm in. There's no way God can use me in my depression. There's no way God can use me in my isolation. There's no way God can use me in my fear. There's no way God can use me in my lack of faith. I beg to differ. If Jesus can step up to the plate here with Peter and cleanse him of those, that mistake of denying his Lord at the crucifixion and cleanse him and recommission him, Jesus can take us wherever we are, from wherever we are, in whatever circumstance we're in, and he can say, I'm here with you. Don't you remember he fed his disciples? He cares about you right where you are. He cares about your heartbreak. He cares about your depression. He cares about your difficulty. He cares about your sorrow. He cares about your sin. And Jesus will cleanse you and forgive you and wash you and bring you into a right relationship with himself and recommission you to serve him in some capacity. He will because he loves you and he's called you to do that. Some of you are listening and you've never met the risen Jesus. You've never trusted Jesus to be your savior. You're in the pre-crucifixion, Peter, stage of your life. You're brash and you're arrogant. You're self-sufficient. You don't think that you need God. And so you've pittered away your life. You've done whatever you wanted to do. And you're at this place and moment in history when you're hearing the gospel. And I'm going to tell you, God is inviting you to meet him. Do you realize you don't have to be anywhere special to meet Jesus? Jesus will come to you where you are as you are. Did you catch that? Jesus appeared to Peter. Peter didn't go searching for Jesus after the resurrection. The risen Jesus went searching for Peter. And wherever you are, in your sin, in your pride, in your selfishness, in your unrighteousness, I want to tell you, Jesus is reaching out for you. He's inviting you to trust him. There's a number on your screen. It's a number that, that you can text and let us know that, hey, you're interested in knowing more about Christ, about following Jesus. Trusting in Jesus to be your Savior is as simple as you acknowledging that you're a sinner, believing on Jesus as Lord and Savior, and committing your life to following Him. And we would love nothing more than to tell you how you can do that. And if you're in that circumstance where, where you're lost in your sin, I would invite you to put your trust in Jesus. We'll give an invitation in a moment you pray. If you're not sure what to do or what to say, you text us. We'll reach out to you. We'll follow up. We'll help you to know how you can have assurance of your salvation. We're going to close this way. Some of you in this room can't imagine how in the world God could use you the way that God uses Peter. And, and, and truth be told, God hasn't called any of us to be apostles. He hasn't called you and I to, to necessarily go across the world and plant churches in all different languages. He, he hasn't called you and me to be leaders in the early church. He's called us to the church and the life of the church. But I want to tell you something. It does not take pastors and ministers and preachers to be on mission. It takes a follower of Jesus, simply a follower of Jesus. One of the greatest shining examples of that is Annie Armstrong, who we've named our Annie Armstrong Easter offering after. 
the age of 19, she put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Trusted him, was baptized into a Baptist church. And from that moment, she not only joined that church, but she participated in a church plant a little bit down the street and served in that church for nearly 70 more years. For 50 years, she taught in the children's ministry. For years, she just went to homeless shelters and difficult circumstances and just cared for people, ministered to people right where she was. Nothing major, nothing spectacular, nothing we would look back on and say, hey, you know, Annie Armstrong did something supernatural. She saw miracles happen all over the place. She just served her Lord and her church and her community in Baltimore, Maryland, year after year, day after day, week after week. She felt a special calling to get the women of the Southern Baptist Convention involved in missions. You know what she did? She's the one who started the WMU. For years, she served in what would be the role of executive director. And because God had blessed her family financially, she didn't take a salary, ever. She raised money. She sent thousands and thousands of letters out raising money. This is pre-marketing days. I mean, you couldn't do a marketing email blast through MailChimp. You couldn't do a a robocall system and invite people to give. She sent letters out in one particular year. Get this. She sent out 18,000 handwritten letters inviting people to participate in the ministry of God and His work through the Southern Baptist Convention. She was instrumental in in working with the North American Mission Board. She was even instrumental in in helping Lottie Moon, another of our Southern Baptist heroes. They were the same era. Lottie Moon had been in China for 11 years without a furlough. So it's a shame that she was on furlough, that she didn't have a furlough, and a shame that we didn't send missionaries to help her and support her. Annie Armstrong heard of that story, and she got her pen out, and she started writing and said, we need to give Lottie Moon a furlough. We need to make sure she has time to rest. We need to help her and send people out. She was instrumental in raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for the International Mission Board, the Foreign Mission Board at that particular time, to make sure that Lottie Moon could be cared for and could have a furlough. Here's one of Annie Armstrong's quotes. She said, the future lies before us. Shall it only be a slight advance upon what we usually do? Ought it not to be a bound, a leap forward to altitudes of endeavor and success undreamed of before? Get that image in your mind. You want to see somebody leap and bound? You watch my oldest son. He doesn't walk anywhere. He leaps through the house like he's a deer. It's amazing. It's loud. I'm worried about the floor falling through. But he, that's what he does. He leaps because he's ready to go to that next thing. Annie Armstrong wrote this saying, listen, we ought not just be content with the ordinary and the everyday. I don't mean that we don't do it, but I mean that we think that it's more than ordinary and everyday. I said just a moment ago, it wasn't supernatural and miraculous, but maybe it was. Maybe just the fact that for 50 years she taught in that children's Sunday school class. Maybe just the fact that she gave up her salary so that the mission work of God cannot be, cannot be paying her salary. Maybe the thousands and thousands and thousands of ordinary, everyday offerings and opportunities of writing letters. Put all that together, that's pretty spectacular. Pretty amazing, pretty miraculous, pretty supernatural. I'll tell you something, folks. Jesus died and rose again, and you and I have met him. Are we going to live on mission 
And let the risen Jesus use us in everyday, ordinary life to lead our neighbors and nations to follow Jesus. Or are we just going to let today be another Easter celebration and walk away and we look forward to what might happen next year? Stand with me, if you will. Lord Jesus... We come to you in this moment convicted, encouraged, blessed. Lord, you forgave us. You met us and you cleansed us of our sin. You met us and you washed us from our mistakes. You met us and and you gave us new life and a mission. Lord, help us to live our lives in reflection of meeting the risen Jesus. Help us to take every moment and every opportunity and every prayer and every interaction and every opportunity to service as as the privilege of sharing and living out the glory of the risen Jesus in our daily lives. Help us to realize, Lord God, that you have changed our mistakes into mission. Help us to realize, Lord God, that you can intervene in the mundane, ordinary events of our lives and bring the miraculous out of them. Help us, Lord God, from this day forward to not be the same because we've experienced you, we've met you, and you've loved us. There's one listening and watching that needs to trust you as Lord and Savior. I pray that today would be the day they'd receive you and they'd follow you. There's one in this room, Lord, that needs to recommit their lives to you, recommit their lives to the mission you've called them to. I pray that they not leave today without doing that and settling that business in their hearts and lives. Lord God, I pray that you'd use us this week to share the glory of the resurrection, the glory of the risen Jesus, the wonder of the Savior who can forgive and cleanse. Use us this week to share that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.